0: episode 42 part two chapter eight they had done it they had done it at last the room they were standing in was long shaped and softly lit the telescreen was dimmed to a low murmur the richness of the dark blue carpet gave one the impression of treading on velvet at the far end of the room O'Brien was sitting at a table under a green-shaded lamp with a mass of papers on either side of him. He had not bothered to look up when the servant showed Julia and Winston in. Winston's heart was thumping so hard he doubted whether he would be able to speak. They had done it. They had done it at last, was all he could think. It had been a rash act to come here at all in sheer folly to arrive together, though it was true they had come by different routes and only met on O'Brien's doorstep. But merely to walk into such a place needed an effort of the nerve. It was only on very rare occasions that one saw inside the dwelling places of the inner party, or even penetrated into the quarter of the town where they lived. The whole atmosphere of the huge block of flats, the richness and spaciousness of everything, the unfamiliar smells of good food and good tobacco, the silent and incredibly rapid lift sliding up and down, the white-jacketed servants hurrying to and fro. Everything was intimidating. Although he had a good pretext for coming here, He was haunted at every step by the fear that a black uniformed guard would suddenly appear from round the corner, demand his papers, and order him to get out. O'Brien's servant, however, had admitted the two of them without demur. He was a small, dark-haired man in a white jacket with a diamond-shaped, completely expressionless face, which might have been that of a Chinese. The passage down which he led them was softly carpeted, with cream papered walls and white wainscoting, all exquisitely clean. Now that too was intimidating. Winston could not remember ever having seen a passageway whose walls were not grimy from the contact of human bodies. O'Brien had a slip of paper between his fingers and seemed to be studying it intently. His heavy face, bent down so that one could see the line of the nose, looked both formidable and intelligent. For perhaps 20 seconds, he sat without stirring. Then he pulled the speak right toward him and rapped out a message in the hybrid jargon of the ministries. Items 1, 5, 7 approved for wise stop. The suggestion contained item six double plus ridiculous, virgin crime sink, cancel, stop. Unproceed construction wise, anti-getting plus full estimates machinery overheads, stop. End message. He rose deliberately from his chair and came toward them across the soundless carpet. A little of the official atmosphere seemed to have fallen away from him with the newspeak words, but his expression was grimmer than usual as though he were not pleased at being disturbed. The terror that Winston already felt was suddenly shot through by a streak of ordinary embarrassment. It seemed to him quite possible that he had simply made a stupid mistake. For what evidence had he in reality that O'Brien was any kind of political conspirator? Nothing but a flash of the eyes and a single equivocal remark. Beyond that, only his own secret imaginings founded on a dream. He could not even fall back on the pretense that he had come to borrow the dictionary, because in that case, Julia's presence was impossible to explain. As O'Brien passed the telescreen, a thought seemed to strike him. He stopped, turned aside and pressed a switch on the wall. There was a sharp snap, the voice had stopped. Julia uttered a tiny sound, a sort of squeak of surprise. Even in the midst of his panic, Winston was too much taken aback to be able to hold his tongue. You can turn it off, he said. Yes, said O'Brien, we can turn it off. We have that privilege. He was opposite them now. His solid form towered over the pair of them, and the expression on his face was still indecipherable. He was waiting, somewhat sternly, for Winston to speak. But about what? Even now it was quite conceivable that he was simply a busy man, wondering irritably why he had been interrupted. Nobody spoke. After the stopping of the telescreen, the room seemed deadly silent. The seconds marched past, enormous. With difficulty, Winston continued to keep his eyes fixed on O'Brien's. Then suddenly the grim face broke down into what might have been the beginnings of a smile. With his characteristic gesture, O'Brien resettled his spectacles on his nose. Shall I say it or will you, he said. I will say it, said Winston promptly. That thing is really turned off? Yes, everything is turned off. We are alone. We have come here because... He paused, realizing for the first time the vagueness of his own motives. Since he did not in fact know what kind of help he expected from O'Brien, it was not easy to say why he had come here. He went on, conscious, that what he was saying must sound both feeble and pretentious. We believe that there is some kind of conspiracy, some kind of secret organization working against the party, and that you are involved in it. We want to join it and work for it. We are enemies of the party. We disbelieve in the principles of Ingsoc. We are thought criminals. We are also adulterers. I tell you this because we want to put ourselves at your mercy. If you want us to incriminate ourselves in any other way, we are ready. He stopped and glanced over his shoulder with the feeling that the door had opened. Sure enough, the little yellow-faced servant had come in without knocking. Winston saw that he was carrying a tray with a decanter and glasses. Martin is one of us, said O'Brien impassively. Bring the drinks over here, Martin. Put them on the round table. Have we enough chairs? Then we may as well sit down and talk in comfort. Bring a chair for yourself, Martin. This is business. You can stop being a servant for the next ten minutes. The little man sat down, quite at his ease, and yet still with a servant-like air. The air of a valet, enjoying a privilege. Winston regarded him out of the corner of his eye. It struck him that the man's whole life was playing a part, and that he felt it to be dangerous to drop his assumed personality, even for a moment. O'Brien took the decanter by the neck and filled up the glasses with a dark red liquid. It aroused in Winston dim memories of something seen long ago on a wall or a hoarding a vast bottle composed of electric lights which seemed to move up and down and pour its contents into a glass. Seen from the top, the stuff looked almost black, but, then, but in the decanter, it gleamed like a ruby. It had a sour, sweet smell. He saw Julia pick up her glass and sniff at it with frank curiosity. It's called wine, said O'Brien with a faint smile. You will have read about it in books, no doubt. Not much of it gets to the outer party, I'm afraid. His face grew solemn again, and he raised his glass. I think it is fitting that we should begin by drinking a health. To our leader, to Emmanuel Goldstein.